This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Raise your hand if you've heard of Pokemon Go. All right. In the last service, believe it or not, it, it's a little older crowd, about 70% of them raised their hands, so I was really surprised. Um, if you haven't heard of Pokemon Go, it's a game that you can download on your phone. It's only been out for about three weeks. And in those three weeks, I think over 30 million users in the U.S. alone have downloaded this game, making it the fastest growing mobile game in history. So it's this huge fad, it's this huge uh, craze, and the concept here is that there are these uh, creatures called Pokemon, all right, and they're stashed all about the world, or they live in the world. And on your phone, when you download this game, you walk about and... uh, and you search the world, the church parking lots and, and uh, public parks and your neighborhood, whatever. And it tells you when you come close to a Pokemon. Your job is to find them and catch them, right? And so once you find one, you, you pull up your phone and accessing the camera on your phone, you see uh, the natural world around you as you usually would. But then you also might see a Pokemon creature just sitting under a tree or on a park bench or whatever. I don't know. And... Uh, So the technology that this game uses is something called augmented reality. Augmented reality, it's it's basically, uh, it's not virtual reality, all right, because virtual reality is when you put on goggles and you're in a totally new world. What augmented reality does is it takes the reality that we know to be the natural world and through a lens, uh, like glasses, or through a screen on your phone or something like it, it augments that reality by adding something to it in this case, Pokemon, or taking something away. And so uh, this game has had a lot of great benefits, believe it or not. You're a stereotypical uh, gamer who's inside all day on the couch, uh, maybe non-social, non-active, but I'm not judging anyone here. Uh, They've been getting out, and they've been being active and getting into community and being social, building relationships while playing this game. So there's huge benefits. It's been great. The drawback is some of you may have seen in the news all the injuries that have been happening. As you can imagine, people are, are looking at their phones for these Pokemon, and they're walking about, and people are walking into ditches. They're in the middle of the street getting hit by cars. Uh, two guys this last week walked off of a 50-foot cliff. They didn't die. Uh, but searching for a Pokemon, it's, it's really insane. And uh, what's funny is that when you open up the game... On the loading screen, there's a warning. That warning says this, remember to be alert at all times. Stay aware of your surroundings. Now, I'm not sure which came first, the warning or the injuries, but the point here is uh, that there's a deeper meaning behind this warning. It sounds obvious to us, right? But there's an underlying principle that, that applies to every area of our lives. And it's this that you must remain grounded in reality. What that game is telling its users is that there's a world, there's a reality that you live and move and operate within that is, is not this game. This game manipulates that reality. And if you are unaware of that world that you're living in, if you're not paying attention to your surroundings, if you get sucked into this augmented reality, into this game, you or other people around you are going to get hurt. So you must remain grounded in reality. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. 
We're going to open up our Bibles to uh, the book of James, chapter 4. And James is, is giving the early Christian church a very similar message. You must remain grounded in reality. And as we'll come to find out, reality uh, for Christians is different than reality for non-Christians. But he's speaking to the church. Let's start in verse 1. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly, to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, in order to understand the kerygma, the core of what James is saying in this message, I want to go back to verse 4, where James says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? What is this world that he's talking about? Well, the, the word used for world is a Greek word, cosmos. Some of you may have heard this before. I think there's a Netflix series called The Cosmos uh, or something like it. The cosmos is the whole universe and everything in it. It's all of the created order. But more important than just the, the physical matter or its physical state, it's the stuff you don't see. It's the, it's the laws that govern it. It's the systems that run it. The teachings that pervade it. And it's the devil who rules it. This is what James calls the world. And this world... Just like Pokemon Go is an augmented reality. I can say this because we know, James knew, he was telling the church that there is a greater reality that exists outside of the cosmos, outside of this, these systems, the world that we are all born into. There is a greater system that exists, a greater reality, and that is the kingdom of God. See, the world is Satan's kingdom. And what he's done is he's taken reality, he's put a lens in front of it, or a screen, and he's augmented it. And he's created this place, this kingdom, that rivals God's kingdom. Except instead of adding Pokemon, he's taken God out of it. That's what he's augmented. And he's... He's made it appealing to us and enticing, and he's convinced us that, that you don't need God to fulfill your desires. 
pursue this world and everything in it, and those deepest desires, the deepest needs of your heart will be satisfied. And so this world and the kingdom of God are at war with one another. And what, what James is saying to the church is you must remain grounded in the, reality, in the reality that is the kingdom of God. God's light has shone into your hearts. He has opened up your eyes and shown you the truth, what really exists, that he loves you, that he's pursued you, and that he has made available to you the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that and only that, him and only him, only he can satisfy your deepest needs. That's essentially the gospel. And yet James is saying, do you not know that, do you not realize that you're being friends with the world? You're pursuing the things of this world to fulfill those needs? Have you not been exposed to reality yet? You're so caught up in the world of parenting that you forget that you're a child of God. You're so caught up in the world of money and possessions that you forget that God's entire inheritance has been made available to you. You're caught up in the world of image and controlling what people think about you so you can have a sense of self-worth. And yet your self-worth can only come from Jesus Christ within you, understanding that God loves you and has always loved you no matter what. You say you have faith in God in this new, uh, not new, but in this greater reality of his kingdom. You say that you have eternal life and, uh, and yet you give yourselves back to the world hoping that it's going to satisfy your desires like everyone else. It fails every time. This way of living is ludicrous and it's foolishness because we know the greater reality. You see, both the world and the kingdom of God promise to satisfy your deepest desires and only one can do it. How are we so easily deceived? How are we so easily deceived? I'm with you on this. It's a daily battle. James, uh, go back to verse 1, shed some light on this. And uh, what he addresses first, though, with them is, is unity in the church, the community. And he says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? What causes quarrels and fights among you? In other words, why is there not perfect unity in the church? Why is there not perfect peace? Why is there division? Why are Christians slamming other Christians? Why are we separating ourselves from each other and putting up barriers? Now, every single one of us, in a very uh, worldly mindset, I, so, uh, we're so tempted to point fingers. And to say, well, it's, it's because, you know, the, the Catholic Church and all their rules and weird beliefs 
that I disagree with. It's because of, you know, the pastor and the decision that he made with uh, the direction to take the church. It's because of what the pastor said in his sermon last Sunday, and I don't disagree with that, or he offended me. It's because Sally Sue has a sailor's mouth, and I just don't like being around her. Or Jimmy John can't keep it in his pants, and you know what, I don't respect him. And these are the types of things that, that we do and say and we point fingers and say that's the reason that there's division in the church among all places. Regardless of the fact that Jesus himself said, they will know you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. For whatever reason, we believe the world that if we hold anger and resentment in our heart, if we judge one another, if we separate ourselves from one another, that it will fulfill some need that we have. Most likely the need to be justified, to feel righteous. But the reality, the reality that we live in is this. That it is your discontentment within you that causes division. James says, is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He's saying you're discontent. Your needs and your deepest desires, they're not being met. That is the root of the issue. There's war among you because there's a war within you. Now, a lot of Christians are quick to say your desires are wrong. You know, uh, you shouldn't want money and you shouldn't want sex and you shouldn't want, you know, you name it. And in fact, uh, those wanting those things is wrong, but the desire itself to want those is rooted in a deep need. There's a very uh, simple and profound truth that every desire you have is deeply rooted in a need. There's a much deeper desire and need beneath that. So I say, you know what? You should be discontent. You desire and don't have. You should be discontent. There is an emptiness in your soul. There are things that you need by God's design that you are not getting. And yet we seek the world to fill those holes, knowing all the while that only God can satisfy. Only God can satisfy. So he says, uh, for discontentment, what do we do with that? He says, the reality is that you don't have simply because you don't ask. You don't have because you don't ask. The greater reality is that anything we ask for in the name of God is given to us. And that God is completely capable and completely willing to fulfill your needs if you give yourself to him. Simply ask. And then he says, even if you do ask, you, you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I have a friend who a couple weeks ago said uh, her sorority sisters in college always quoted Psalm 37, which says, 
the Lord will give you the desires of your hearts. And usually they were speaking about men and, uh, you know, the, the man of their dreams and relationships. <laughs> oh, just hang on, girl. He'll give, he'll give you the desires of your heart. And, uh, but she said, we always forgot the first half of that sentence, which is, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. First, delight yourself in the Lord, and then he will satisfy all the desires of your heart. What an amazing promise. Now, listen to me. I, I get that that is hard. How do I delight myself in the Lord? How do I enjoy the Lord on those days where I just don't enjoy the Lord? How do I manufacture uh, delight in the Lord? The amazing thing here is you don't have to manufacture it. You see, it doesn't have to be artificial or superficial, all right? The world is superficial. That's the reality that's augmented. The Lord and his amazing, incredible self is true, and he's pure, and he's real. All it takes is a little prayer, reflection, <laughs> solitude, attention given to God to just, to just see him for what he is. That's it. You don't have to manufacture anything. Just remember what it is that you believe. must scratch below the surface. We must go beyond the surface level living and get behind this facade that is the world. We ever want to be satisfied. The reality is that when we place our desire to know God above our worldly desires, our community is restored, our relationships are healed, especially in the church, our prayers are answered, and all of our desires are met. That's reality. Isn't that incredible? That's what's real. In spite of all the times that we failed, all the times that we've been unfaithful to God, ran away from him and rejected him, what's amazing is that in, in verse 6, he says this, but he gives more grace. You've been in adultery, spiritual adultery with God, and yet he gives more grace. How do I get that grace? Well, he says that God opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. So this is where this message takes us, is to Humility. How do we humble ourselves before God? In a conversation with a friend this last week, we were talking about humility, and it's just kind of this mystery sometimes. If I'm not humble, how do I make myself humble? Well, James has some great steps here at the, kind of at the end of these few verses, and we're just going to walk through them. It says, therefore, submit yourselves to God. Submit yourselves to God. What does this mean? When I hear submit, I think surrender. Every day when I pray, at, at some point or another, I run out of words to say. And all I've got left is like something I can do. What can I do for you, God? And the only thing I can do is surrender. I, I physically, I put my hands in the air 
I relax every feeling or, or desire that I have to control anything. I just give my whole self to him. Way too often when we think um, of a life with God, we think of having God. How can we have God? How can we get God? But in surrender, in reality, all we can do is give ourselves to God. Does God have us is the question, not do we have God. And he says, resist the devil and he will flee. That's a good promise. Resist the devil and he will flee. But how hard are you resisting? My, uh, a family member of mine loves sweets. And so if they're in the house, he'll eat them, man. And I'm pretty much the same way. But um, his wife, if she has a bag of Oreos or something, she'll, she'll hide them around the house and he'll go searching for them. But she has to hide them really well so he doesn't find them. And you know what? That's resisting, in a very small way, the devil, you know? Uh, I have a tendency when Kayla's at work and I've got a few hours where I should be working at night, I, I end up just watching Netflix for two or three hours and wasting a bunch of time. And so what have I done? Well, I had Kayla change the Netflix password and sign out every time that she's done watching. And some of you are like, that sounds ridiculous. Well, no. You know what? I was getting torn apart in my soul that I was wasting this time. That I wasn't glorifying God with that time in my evenings. And so I said, I'm going to put an end to it. I'm going to cut you off, Satan. What's this business with us waiting until, uh, you know, the very, uh, waiting until the temptation comes and then dealing with it then? You know, let's cut him down at his knees. Protect ourselves. Set up precautions. Have friends hold you accountable and loved ones hold you accountable. Do what you need to do. With every faculty given to you, resist the devil. Because all he wants to do is hurt you. Your job is stealing your life away. There's anything that has control of you, anything that has you that is not God, get rid of it. And he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Another amazing promise. God has given us uh, what John Wesley would call a means of grace. He's given us places and, and things, places we can go and things we can do to step into his presence and to receive his grace. Things like prayer, reading scripture, taking communion, attending church, worshiping, doing good deeds, showing acts of mercy, feeding the hungry, visiting the sick, etc., etc. These are means by which we receive God's grace, means by which we draw near to God. Seek him, and he will draw near to you. And then he says, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. What he means here is repent. Be washed of your sins. Which you can't do on your own. Receive the forgiveness of the sins. Washing away of your sins. Receive the righteousness that is in Christ alone through faith. And this absolutely begins at his next sentence. He says, be wretched and mourn and weep. 
Let your laughter turn to mourning and your joy turn to gloom. Now that sounds really gloomy. Sounds really like, ugh, I don't want to do that. What does that even mean? Uh, No, this is really important. What he's saying here is we need to grieve authentically over the weight of our sin. I can tell you firsthand that the times in my life when the gospel is the most powerful are those times where I have become so far from God, I've resisted him for so long, I've pursued the things of this world, I've, I've just sinned and I've been caught up in the empty promises that are not his kingdom, right? That I just fall on my knees, I fall on my face, and I sob in his presence. I say, God, I'm sorry. Please take me back. Guys, he felt the weight of your sins. And it's not going to look like that every day. But again, what's this business with us waiting until we've just totally destroyed our lives? Until the world comes crashing down before we finally return to God? Every day when you get up, you have an opportunity to grieve authentically before God, to lay yourself out prostrate and just say, God, please forgive me. I encourage you, don't wait any longer. You know, the world tells us that humility equals weakness. It tells us that if you humble yourselves, that you're going to get walked on, you're going to get hurt and abused and used. Who wants to be humble? I want to build myself up and protect myself and make myself look good and feel good, etc. But all of those things, as we've already discussed, are based in a lie. You see, the reality is that when you humble yourselves, you will be exalted. That's how he ends in verse 10. Humble yourselves and you will be exalted. Humble yourselves in this life and in the next life you will be raised up. Philippians chapter 2 is one of my favorite chapters in scripture, probably my favorite, and it says this about Christ, that he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is reality. Jesus is Lord. Most of you have put your faith in him at one point in time or another. And whether you humble yourselves now or later or never, when he returns... Every knee will bow on heaven, on earth, and under the earth. It's going to happen. And you have the opportunity to join God in his mission and do it now. 
to just accept things for the way that they are and say, God, you're God and I am me. (laughs) And he's so merciful and so gracious and so loving. And he's not condemning. He says, yes, join me. In Colossians 3, we're told that when Christ appears in all of his glory, that we will appear with him in his glory. Humble ourselves now. Plant yourselves in the reality that is God's kingdom now and submit yourself beneath his reign in your life. And he will raise you up in glory in days to come. Now, personally, I don't play Pokemon Go. Um, I haven't been sucked into that world. But there are many other worlds, if you will, that I have been sucked into. One of which I've already mentioned is TV, just the or social media too, the mindlessness that feeds laziness, that feeds shallowness. It's this just busyness of mind that's absolutely good for nothing, and yet it, it kind of fills part of our soul for a point in time until we realize that it never did. Often I get caught up in the world of image trying to control change what others think of me. I've been caught in the world of pornography addiction before. What a lie, what a farce that is. Doesn't satisfy anything. And I've been caught in probably the most surreal world that I've been made aware of, which is college in America. (laughs) It's this world where you're living off of money that's not your own. you do pretty much whatever you want, and you don't have many responsibilities. <laughs> and it's really awesome for a, a bit of time, it seems, and, uh, until you realize that it's not worth anything. All of those things are based in lies. What about you? Your worldview. What reality have you been living in up to this point? James is calling to the church, and I am calling to this church this morning, asking you to wake up. And I'm with you. It's time that we wake up. It's time that we are no longer seduced by the empty promises that this world holds, no longer deceived. By this world that has consistently lied to us, but that we once again give ourselves back to the God who swept us off of our feet and plant ourselves in the reality that is his great kingdom, where only there we have eternal life. It's time. If this is what you believe, if you claim to believe in the kingdom of God, there is no place for you in the world. There is none. So let's go. Come with me. Give ourselves to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are awesome. And you're great.
And your greatness uh, is real. Not something we dream up. In fact, we can't even imagine how great it really is. Only you can satisfy our deepest needs, deepest desires. We confess that every day we are fooled or deceived. And I don't know how. I don't know why. We ask for more grace. This morning we humble ourselves before you. We lift up your name high. We ask for your forgiveness. We claim your forgiveness. And we move forward in the reality which is your kingdom. In name.